Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to the Life in Law Podcast. This is your host, Heather Mulder. And today we have Lexley Overton here to talk all things meditation. Meditation is one of those things that I get a lot of pushback from my clients on. And I find that I get pushback because there are tons of myths and misconceptions out there. So I wanted an expert in here today to talk about what meditation really is, the various options that we've got, and kind of, you know, the misconceptions that you might have about it so that you can give it a try. Welcome, Lexi. Oh, thank you, Heather. I'm so excited. And I, I love to talk about meditation. I hope everybody hangs in there because sometimes people hear the word meditation and we're like, oh, not for me. But I think today we can we can dispel a lot of those myths and uh, really show you something that can be very powerful. Yeah. That is why I have you here. And I will say this, a lot of people who I come across, a lot of lawyers say they would love for meditation to work for them, but it just doesn't work for them. And so we are speaking specifically to you folks. I want you to stick with us. I want you to listen today and and at least open your mind a little bit and um, see if you can't give it a try. So that that's my two cents for selling meditation. But so why don't we um, first just give a brief introduction of who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, let me see if I can sum that up. I am, um, I've been a, I've been a lawyer for almost 30 years and I had for, um, almost 20 years, a practice here in Baton Rouge. I had a personal injury practice that about, um, going about 10 years ago, um, eight or nine years ago, started to close out to do coaching work with lawyers and their teams. So we really focus on how do we help lawyers and their teams to become more powerful in and out of the courtroom, happier and more powerful in what they do. Um, so I love it. But mm-hmm. with the way that I got into meditation, which is really probably where we should begin is as a young lawyer, I was very lucky when I came out of law school, I practiced with my parents and, you know, my dad thought there was no better way to learn than to be on your feet. So he threw me in a courtroom right away. So I was trying this <laughs> very quickly. I loved what I did, but about three years into the practice, I walked out of a courtroom um, from Northern Louisiana. And I thought and I was 30 years old and thought I was having a heart attack. And literally it felt like that. And I went to the ER and they thought I was having a heart attack and I wasn't and gave me nitroglycerin and bottomed out my blood pressure. It was a whole episode. And then I had to go through a bunch of tests and all these tests came back and said, well, your heart's good, but you're having some problems with your esophagus contracting down. We well, need to put you on some medication. And I'm like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. What's causing this? And the response was, we really don't know but we suspect it's probably has a lot to do with stress. Well, you think, I mean, (laughs) I was working incredible amount of hours, but also in a very, you know, adversarial, stressful practice, had a three-year-old at the time. Mm -hmm. And 
I didn't want to get on medicine because I realized, I mean, this was something I wanted to do for a living and I had to figure out a way to do it where I didn't have to be on medicine to, to be able to survive it. And that was my first step into how do we learn to manage our state, our energy, and it got me into meditation. I've been a long time meditator and I when I talk to lawyers, just like you, I hear all kinds of objections. Like I can't do that. Probably. What What do you think is the number one objection that you get to meditation, Heather? I don't know. I have two really that are kind of side by side. One is the time. It, it, I can't devote 20 minutes to meditating. They all ah. assume it's 20 plus minutes of time, right. you know, <laughs> devoted. And then the second one, and I think it relates to the time too, is yeah. I'm bad at it. My, my mind wanders too much and I suck at it. And so it's just not for me. And they think that if they meditate for 20 minutes, their mind should never, ever wander at all. Right. <laughs> so those are probably the first two I, the right. top two I and, get. Yeah. So let's, let's start with that one that talks about that. I can't do it because I don't, I can't make my mind stop thinking. Well, you're, you're not going to, because it's the job of your mind to think. Mm-hmm. So if you can just put that aside, you know, like, okay, well, maybe I can try this. There are places when you practice enough that your mind will have spaces where there is no thought. And it's a very deep centered space that your mind and your heart become aligned in. And for long-term meditators, they can access that. But that's not the only reason for meditation. So what I like to say is, is that meditation is like the word athletics. There's many different types of sports under athletics. There are many different types of meditation that have are way different than just the one where I'm supposed to sit and not think, which is actually very, very hard to do. But there's lots mm-hmm. of tools that can help you where you can slow the, the monkey brain down which is important because when we have certain thoughts and stories that we tell ourselves, and, you know, as humans, we're incredible storytellers. As lawyers, we're really good storytellers. Um, But often we're telling a story that's not very empowering, or it's a story that shifts our state into one that becomes a state where we're being really drained. So a state Mm -hmm. of anxiety or fight or flight, which is really easy and the practice of law, because we really are, you know, whenever you have a client, you're an advocate and there's, you know, automatic that puts you in a state of like, I've got to win this. And it can really be about the survival of the case, the survival for the client in in different ways, which we then take on and end up in a fight or flight state. And when we're in the state where our body has responded to that. So if we start to every emotion that we have, whether it's positive or negative affects the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So if we have a negative emotion, one that I think is disempowering, like, um, Anxiety, which is common, most common thing I hear from lawyers is really being anxious or stressed out or fearful. Something's going to go wrong. I'm going to fail in some way. So anxiety is really the state. When we trip into that, which sometimes that's as soon as we wake up, if we're reaching (laughs) for our phones, as soon as we wake up or thinking about Monday mornings is my favorite time to think about this because Monday mornings usually 
we can open our eyes and we're already thinking about, oh my gosh, what does today mean? And what does this whole week mean? And we're in anxiety before we put a foot on the floor. We're listing every <laughs> single thing that has to get done and all the emergencies that could possibly get in the way. And it, it's just a crazy, yeah, chaotic yeah. mess. Yeah. And so if we're, you know, we're in that state unconsciously, this low level state of anxiety that we just think is normal, which it's not. And the, the, chronic low-term, you know, um, um, long-term anxiety state is really the basis of science's showings of so many of our illnesses and ailments that happen because of the body being in that state for so long. We're not meant to be that. Fight or flight, if we were faced by a tiger in the, you know, in the jungle, we would either fight and we motivate, you know, the body dumps all this cortisol and adrenaline into the system for that. Like it's going to take all the energy to fight or all my energy to run. And if I'm going to run, if you've ever seen a, a deer in the woods that gets startled, when it gets to the place that it settles, it shakes, its whole body shakes. And it literally flitches, you switches the flip on that and goes back into a state that's not fight or flight, right? So more into the parasympathetic nervous system. In that state, we're conserving energy. And what happens to our brains when we're in fight or flight is we don't have access. We don't have energy to access the part of the brains that we need to as lawyers, which is, you know, the prefrontal cortex, critical decision-making, foresight, creative thinking, et cetera. No energy for that because your whole body is focused on, even when you're in long, you know, just low anxiety, the body is focused on what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next. And instead, and it it takes a lot of energy, literally takes moves energy around in the brain to these other places. That's looking for what's the threat Mm -hmm. as to longer term critical thinking, that kind of thing. If we are able to shift our state into where we're activating the parasympathetic nervous system, then we're conserving and everything slows down. And when everything slows down, then I have the ability to choose a response. Mm -hmm. So as humans, we're very, very unique and that we have the ability to choose. There's a space in between stimulus of something that happens in our environment to our reaction. But most of the time we skip that space because we just go right to (laughs) to that unconscious state that we just live in. So when you learn to do some of these practices, what they help you do is to understand how to bring your mind and your body into that state where you're calm, you have centered, you have the ability to choose your response. Yes. I would highlight, okay, so there's a couple things to highlight in what you just said. Number one, one of the things I've heard, if I had a dollar for every time I heard this, I'd be a millionaire right now. I work better under pressure. Yeah. Biggest load of BS ever. Yeah. Well, some <laughs> we all convince ourselves of that, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 you really don't because you're usually when you're under pressure, you're under high levels of stress and anxiety. And so you you're not thinking as clearly and creatively and critically as you think. So that that's something I wanted to highlight there. The other thing um you started with, you know, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves that kind of lead us into this line of acting and thinking. And one thing I would say, at least I found beneficial for me when I started meditating, was the stories we tell ourselves are often absolutely untrue or incomplete, right? And so even if they're incomplete, they're partially true, but they're not fully true. Mm -hmm. They work against you. 
and they cause added stress and you they 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 impact your choices and your decisions and your behavior moving forward which then can have this horrible ripple effect and so mm-hmm. one of the benefits that i found with meditation is it allowed me I've, and I've been practicing a couple of years now. I've still not really found the best space for like that free thought, like no thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. But what I love about it is it helps me become more self-aware. It's like some of these thoughts and these stories come to the surface that I didn't even realize were there. So right. that it's really brought forth a self-awareness so that has allowed me to change those stories yes. so that it doesn't impact me in the way they used to. Yeah. Does that make sense? So true. So I'll take those in reverse, you know, the order that you <laughs> reverse there. And with stories, that is true. So once, if we even can just sit and witness what thoughts come up without judging them, because mm-hmm. oftentimes we start to judge, oh my gosh, I feel that way, you know, and then it's a whole nother story about that, right? Guilt or shame or um, something along those lines. But when you can start to witness, oh, look at myself, I am telling myself this story that today is going to be stressful. If I wake up in the morning and the first thing I think is today is going to be stressful, I have just set my brain up to search for that. Your brain is, you know, has a bias. It will look for it, right? To to reinforce the story you're telling yourself. You will see the world through that lens, So one of the things you're correct is being able to sit for five minutes and just observe what thoughts you have is a huge awakening Mm -hmm. to how much, you know, if even if you just thought about the stories I'm telling myself, are they empowering or disempowering? Do they put me in fight or flight or they put me in a state of feeling really good about myself or feeling peace or feeling like I can be really creative or focused? So they have, it, that is a, the number one benefit. Like if you could just sit and witness without judging, just so that you can be like, oh, wow. And then asking yourself, it would be really a very powerful exercise is then to take those thoughts, the story I'm telling myself. I did this with a client this morning. The story he was telling himself was, it, literally the storyline was, I am trapped. And so mm. you ask that question. Is that true? Do you know that? Is that a fact that you are trapped and there is nothing else to do? Well, no, of course not. Right. You have to challenge. <laughs> and and he, he's like, no, I certainly I have choices. But the story I am trapped is an old story for him. It's something that is, you know, we tracked it back three decades. Mm. So when we, we have stories from events that happen to us, you know, we have something that happened to us. It could be today. It could have been 20 years ago. We walk out of that with certain beliefs about ourselves and the world around us, right? And then we start to live towards that because the brain is always looking to reinforce. So um, bringing in and asking yourself the question, is that true, is very, very very powerful. And and you can't do that if you don't have awareness. So number one benefit, you're right, about having some type of meditative practice is just learning to be a witness. You know, and as lawyers, we know what a good witness is. It's someone that can really observe what's happening, right? Without Mm -hmm. judgment and give us the full feedback on that. So it's learning to tap into that witness ability that then once we have awareness of something, then we can shift it. And switching back to this story, and I I hear this from clients too. Well, when I'm under pressure, I get so much done. (laughs) Yeah. So there is some truth to that. Um, There really is because... 
remember when I said that we every emotion we have affects the autonomic nervous system yep. and there's two branches, there's a sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And the one, you know, that is really looking for us to be in fight or flight is, is meant to mobilize us, right. Yeah. To like get the energy to fight, like I said, or, or, you know, or flee in our modern day world, we're not going to do that. So it gives us the energy to, and the, the, um, even a little bit of fear of what yep. will happen if I don't sit down and write this brief, right? Like, so it can that focus you and force you to and motivate you. you. Yeah. Do, right. And in the Some short term that is good short term. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We aren't staying in that short term. We finish the brief and then we're already thinking about the argument and then where are we going to win or lose it? And then, you know, like, no, we stay in that till it's done, you know? So it's realizing that, yeah, you can learn to use that energy to move you. It is the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning is tapping into that type of that part of our autonomic nervous system. But it's also realizing that we're not using it that way. We're, it, it, we're really staying tripped in it, which is so draining. That's the yes. thing that, well, when you stay in that state, you'll think you're 30 years old having a heart attack. Uh, that's what happens. The body will start to manifest symptoms of, yep. in one way or the other, because the energy is so draining. You can only sustain that for so long. Well, and it impacts your entire body. Like, it, you know, your body's actually releasing chemicals to right. deal with the stress that yes, help you focus, motivate all those things you need in the fight or flight response. Right but they keep going and going and going and it causes damage over the long term to yeah. your body and to your whole system. Right. And I would say this, when I hear people say that, it's 99% of the time people who are always always working <laughs> under pressure, always jumping from one emergency to another and they're they're at the point where they've come to me for help, you mm -hmm. know. And are exhausted and it's no longer really working for them. <laughs> right. And so I think most people who don't live in that land realize that, yeah, upon occasion, this can be helpful and they can use utilize it to their benefit. But if you are like Miss, Mr. or Mrs., I work better under pressure, therefore I'm, I'm always like that, yet you're getting to a point of exhaustion, there, there's a problem and you got to get yeah. out of it. Right. It's a story you're telling yourself. It does it interest to the point, but you're right. All of the, the, the bio hormonal responses that happen when we get triggered into that state can be important to help mobilize us for certain things. But, you know, the number one is, is that cortisol gets dumped into the system and cortisol has a long, long lasting effect hours. Yes. Yes. So if you are, you know, very common for me to hear lawyers talk about not being able to sleep. And I would tell you that the first thing you need to look at is like how much stress you're under, because the number one symptom of too much cortisol in the system is that the inability to sleep. Yep. And then remembering that cortisol and DHEA, which is like, you know, the vitality hormone, you know, we want that so much that they come from the same precursor hormone. So if you are producing more cortisol, you're doing it um, at the sacrifice of having a DHEA in the system. You can't do both right at the mm -hmm. same time. So recognizing that when we're in the opposite state, that we're actually, we are energizing the system physically, mentally, and emotionally, it brings all of that in and meditation. You know, remember there are lots of different types and lots of different practices 
is one of the, that's one of the benefits of that. When I say that we can start to be in a state that we're centered, we're aligned, our, our brain and our heart, our emotions are in alignment, we access so much more creativity and out of the box mm. thinking and the ability to respond instead of react. Um, and I, if I'm in fight or flight, I'm not really seeing the whole situation here. I'm, I am only bringing in enough information to protect myself, which means that I'm not seeing the whole picture, which is not a benefit to you or to your client. If you're in a situation where, you know, you're in the courtroom, I'll tell you that when the, when I am able to get lawyers to step into some of these practices, and I, and I, you know, we can call them meditation practices. We can call them mindset practices. They're all the, they're all yep. the same thing. It's about empowering your state mentally, emotionally, and physically. When they do, they realize that there was so much they were missing before about what was happening. I literally mm -hmm. had a lawyer come out of a trial after she had been doing these practices for about three months. And she said, just had such a different understanding of the energy in the room and what was happening because I wasn't so consumed in anxiety that I was just barely managing that, right? Mm -hmm. I was able to understand so much more what was happening with the judge and what the witness was happening and the energy that was coming from opposing counsel in such a different way than I've ever seen it before. And so it's like a superpower that you tap mm -hmm. into. You start to not only manage your energy, but you start to understand people in a totally different way. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I think really... I see it as it's it's kind of one of the rock star practices for increasing your emotional intelligence because what we're really talking about is you you first become more self-aware, mm -hmm. but then it expands into more awareness of others and yes. being able to read a room better and other people's emotions and other people's motivations and where they're coming from, which then allows you to, you know, tailor how you respond to people so that it better, you know, so that your communication is received better. And right. so it, 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 it's this whole big, you know, ripple effect. It's not just about you. It is a lot of it about you, but it actually expands out outward to other people. And it, it, it is amazing. <laughs> so. yeah, it's bringing in having full awareness of who I am in the moment, what I bring to the situation, but also understanding people on a totally different level, yes. which I cannot do if I am just, if I am using energy to push down my own anxiety yep. or my own anger or my own sadness, that takes a whole lot of energy and it, it, it um, muffles, it suppresses my ability to understand what's going on with anyone else. And at the end of the day, what we're doing with people as lawyers is, you know, we're, we're working with people and we're, we're, we need to understand their stories. I need to understand mm -hmm. my client's story. I need to understand the story of the witness that's most empowering. I need to understand what might be the story of the jury as they listen to this. I can't do that and track that energy if I am in a state of what's incoherent. Any kind of emotion that's more draining on the system or puts me into fight or flight, right? Which yeah. is not just anger. Sadness is a, you know, is one, um, uh, detachment, you mm. know, 
see a lot with people who, when we live in this state of stress for long enough, we start to just like detach from like, I don't care anymore. Or Mm -hmm. I'll hear sometimes the system is so broken. Why am I doing this anymore? Right. That's a person who is exhausted. When I have a lawyer come to me and says, I just don't know if I want to do this anymore. I just can't, I can't, you know, what's the point? And I'm like, you are in a state of total energy drain and exhaustion, overwhelm. This is not the state that you make big decisions about your life. You're in burnout at that point. Yeah. You have to figure out how to become empowered and then make the decision whether or not this is what you want to do. Yeah. That's one reason why I tell a lot of my new clients and any of my new clients who are in that space, like, okay, no, you need to give it a couple months before we make a decision, unless you're in a toxic state, right? right? If you're somewhere where it's so toxic, you just have to get out which is actually pretty rare. I don't see that that often. Um, I think I've only seen it once. (laughs) But uh, you really want to wait and kind of fix some of this and get to a space where you can think more clearly so that you can make better decisions. Because what I've seen in a lot of my clients when they come to me in that space is they're 100% certain they need to leave not just their current firm or where they're working, but they probably just don't need to be a lawyer at all. And Mm -hmm. I would say... 99% of them stay in the law Mm -hmm. and 75 to 80% of them even stay where they are. (laughs) They don't end up moving organizations because it's really so much about their state and needing to change that and not necessarily where they are. Now, you know, there's like a 20 to 25% who do then end up moving on and very happily, but then they're able to make the right decision. They can't make it when they're in that state. Right. Something I did want to mention, because you um, obviously were a litigator and you talk a lot about this. This also applies to transactional attorneys, because mm-hmm. as a transactional attorney myself, you need to be able to read other people in negotiations. You need to be like it, this all plays 100%. yeah, for everybody. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It doesn't matter what kind of law it does. I agree with you totally. <laughs> and I've listened to your podcast a lot and like you're bringing that point in. It doesn't, it, it transactional too. It's anytime you have a client that you mm-hmm. are in some way advocating for, and you're doing that in transactional work too. Yep. There's something that you're bringing, you're trying to bring to the table for someone um, to have a certain re- resolution. Yeah. And I agree. We don't want to make decisions about you know, our lives in a state where we're in fight or flight and it's exhaustion and overwhelm because it's really, it's again, you're not using the full power of your brain. You can't when you're in that state. Matter of fact, you're so exhausted. You're, you're barely functioning, much less being in the most empowered state that you can be in. And you can't even see all your options. There's no way for you to fully identify them. So everything is so limited. You're bound to make a decision that later you'd be like, wait a second. Right. wasn't the best one. <laughs> and we can take this from like big life decisions to even how our state is on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? So if I am in an incoherent state because I am in fight or flight, then I can't see all the options available to me today in any situation. I will not be as creative or intuitive as I could be if I was more centered and I came into a place of where I know that my mind and my heart are centered in an alignment that I can have the energy in my brain to access the parts of the brain that actually help us to be more creative and out of the box for, you know, different kinds of solutions. And mm-hmm. that's important in the work that we're doing on a daily basis as a lawyer. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So it's, you know, we can think about big picture, you know, I always talk to lawyers about what it comes down to is first, before you can do anything, is learning to manage your own energy, your own state, and then recognizing that until you do that, you're it's going to be a problem because whoever you are, what state you bring, you bring with you into any situation, you are now giving to other people and it affects other people. Yes. So if I'm in, I'm in anxiety and I walk into my office and that, then, you know, my receptionist or my paralegal or is going to feel that right now in my life, it's my, I have a 14 year old that's uh, at home and, uh, He's very aware. We talk a lot about managing, you know, anxiety for exams and all that kind of stuff. And he will call, totally call me when I'm, call me out when I am in an anxiety, like I'm having some anxiety, the way that I, what, how does that manifest? I usually talk faster. I'm very short, um, uh, like I'm more demanding and he'll literally say vibes, mom, like don't put that on me, but we really have to be thinking about that because it's not just, you know, you think about that it's with your family family, but it's also with your team. So when we're, when we're doing, you know, the work that we do with team performance, we talk about team coherency is built upon the personal coherency of every member. And that's not with the leader. It's the lawyer that's leading that. So if you are living in a state like that, that's, you are disempowering the people around you. You are causing them to be anxious. Then they will make more mistakes as a result of that. So it all falls in. There's so many reasons to understand Now, when we talk about meditation or mindset or whatever you want to call it, it's about learning to manage your own state to be the most powerful that you can be in the moment. Right. So let's quickly get to the other objection, the time objection. And then I want to get into like the types of meditation that are out there, because I think a lot of people just think of meditation as one set thing of sitting down and trying to clear their mind and focusing on their breath or something very specific, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and doing it for a lengthy period of time. So what would you say to, I just don't have the time for it. It it takes too long. Yeah. I'll tell you that we can do an example of this right now and how quickly we can use a method to shift our state. So let's first, let's, let's tap into something that um, puts us in that sort of fight or flight, something that makes us anxious. So I just want, you know, everyone that's listening can just for a moment, I want you to think about something you're worried about right now, because everybody has something, <laughs> something that you're worried about. And just for a moment, I want you to think about that. And then we really want to have awareness because every, you know, every emotion that we have is held somewhere in the body. So I just want you to think for a moment, scan your body. Where do you hold that emotion? A lot of times it can be held in the jaw or in the throat or in the chest. Just take a moment and notice. Or in our core, you can feel like a sinking feeling there. A lot of low back pain for people. That's energy, emotion can be held there, right? So just bringing that into your awareness. Now we're just going to shift that. I have no idea what you're thinking about, but I'm going to give you a practice that helps you to, this is an example of how you can shift your state and it doesn't take very long. So I want everyone, you don't have to have your eyes closed for this. Matter of fact, I encourage you to practice it with your eyes open so that you can do it when you're in conversation with people so that you are managing the state that you bring into conversations. Bring your awareness to the center of your chest. And I want you to imagine that you can follow your breath in and out at the chest area just for a moment. Just following your breath as if you're breathing in and out the center of the chest at the center of the heart area.
And now I want you to see if you can slow that breathing pace down as you continue the heart-focused breathing. So maybe the inhale for a count of four and exhale for a count of four. Just slowing it down. And while you continue the heart-focused breathing, I just want you to think about someone in your life that you're grateful for. Someone who's by your side, who has your back all the time. Someone you're just grateful for and really just feel gratitude and appreciation for this person. And just take a breath in and out and notice how you feel. How do you feel, Heather? I feel great. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to say, my worry is about my son. It's something that's come up recently um, around something that he cares about tremendously that I wish I had more control over and I don't. And as any parent knows, when it comes to your kids, you get super anxious about those kind of things when you can't do anything about it. So I was in focusing on that. I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) there's that feeling. I hate it. Um, Right. And you know, when we want to come up with a solution, well, first off, what we just did, we could have simply just left it at heart focused breathing and you shift your state. First reason why is whenever you focus on something, a part of the body, you interrupt the thoughts, you interrupt the story. So you had to interrupt the story about thinking about your son to focus on your heart. And then you're focusing on that I'm breathing in and out there. So right there, we're shifting the state because we're shifting the story. The other thing is, is we slow that breath down, taking um, deeper breaths. When we are in fight or flight, we breathe really shallow, right? Sometimes we even hold our breath right? Mm -hmm. So we want to bring breath back into the body. When you do that, that helps to de-trigger the nervous system out of that fight or flight. When we breathe a little deeper, it's bringing in expansion where we can calm down. And then gratitude is the easiest way to shift your state. It's like so powerful. There's so many benefits to a gratitude practice from, you know, in increasing your happiness to really, it does help you to be more productive, et cetera. Three minutes of gratitude writing every morning will change your life. You become, you do things that you're grateful for in the last 24 (laughs) hours makes you be grateful for the small things, like the ability that we have to talk to each other like this. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how like, and I, I think I had a whole episode on gratitude. I started practicing gratitude to reinforce this back when I was a cancer patient. It, it, I had never practiced it before that. I forced myself to, because it was really a hard time for obvious reasons. I didn't know if I was going to live through it. I mean, you know, I had a two-year-old and a six-year-old and I was scared to death that I was going to die. And my two-year-old wouldn't even remember who I was. (laughs) And so, and I had to learn, you know, when you have to practice gratitude in that type of situation, you realize how many little things there are to be grateful for and how powerful it is to really identify those little things because it it changes your entire like outlook on what life is and where you can derive pleasure and that you can actually be happy even in horrible circumstances in yeah. moments right and that happiness isn't i think we've done ourselves a disservice in this world about how we talk about happiness and how we always have to feel up or good or whatever, you know, it's not, that's not possible. We're human beings and we have all these emotions and we have circumstances we can't control, but you can still focus in on things that make life worthwhile 
in those moments and right. make it better. And um, so I just, yeah, big shout out to gratitude because I, I, yeah. I love it. It's probably one of my favorite practices ever. <laughs> so. yeah, you know, and sometimes people think, well, these are so, you know, terrible. Well, you know, going back to just like when you, that you described that story, we forget to be grateful for our health. You know, what if I opened my eyes this morning? I'm grateful that I have the ability to be open my eyes this morning, mm-hmm. right? We, we take all of that for granted and it's a huge shifter, right? You cannot be in sadness or anxiety if you're truly in gratitude and appreciation mm-hmm. that you mean you cannot have both at the same time. So it is a way, even when things seem to be really, we're not saying be Pollyanna and ignore, you have something going on with your son. Yes. But if you are in a state of anxiety and you try to talk to him, your anxiety is going to influence the power of that conversation. And it won't be as powerful because he will pick up on your kids are really powerful and picking up on anxiety, right? So, you know, and we pick up on other people and we are affected by other people's emotions all the time. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that when we're in the problem, the energy of the problem, it's really hard to come into the energy of the solution. So one of the things you want to do is want to shift my state out of being incoherent or being in anxiety. And when you, when we just did that, we did some heart focused breathing, and then we brought in gratitude. The next thing that you could do when you're in gratitude is say, what's a more effective solution strategy or attitude to have about this situation and watch what comes in because you're in gratitude, which is a higher vibration that can bring in a different solution than when you're just focused on the anxiety and the problem. Does that make you've sense? opened yourself up to that, right? right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that, and so we, what we did in that practice that we, I, I guarantee we didn't spend two minutes and, and you really can shift your state in a minute just by using your breath mm-hmm. and a meditative practice. When we're talking about length, if everybody just takes a breath in right now, a long, slow inhale, we do it together and exhale. You just did a meditation. Congratulations. (laughs) That's a meditative practice, right? It's focusing on something. It's clearing the mind of the story. That's the most important thing. And then there is the power when you start to sit. If you were like, well, I'm just going to sit here and see what happens, then you can be aware of the story that's there and choose how you want to tell a different story and what would be more empowering for you or what is the truth of that. So different meditation practices, the most common that people are aware of is is a mindfulness practice. And we do not have to sit at the top of a mountain (laughs) in front of a campfire to be a meditator. I want to say that too, because it's like this myth, I have to have a special place for it and all of that. No, a mindfulness practice is anything that you become completely aware of. And you can think about bringing in all of your senses. So I often do this when I wash dishes and bring in the, I bring a mindfulness practice to washing the dishes. So I think about um, what does the water feel like? The sensation of the touch of water running. What does it sound like? What is the weight of the plate in my hand? This is a mindfulness practice. And what does that do? Well, it's a couple of things. It's bringing us fully present into the moment. It's also interrupting other, any other story that could be going on so that we become more centered. And then, you know, a lot of mindfulness practices can focus on the breath. It's getting you to be mindful, like focusing in on the breath. It's a great one to do. Hard focus, breathing, focusing your breath right there. You do that for a minute, you will feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Um, you know, sometimes it's focusing on a word is a type of mindfulness practice. And then there are lots of different meditation practice. Visualization is a really powerful one. You know, really thinking about, I do a leadership circle every Sunday night and we did visualization last night. We, we spend time planning the week and the intention for the week and the goals for the week, but we really set an intention word for the week. And my word for this week is presence. So we just did a short visualization for one minute, whatever your word is for the week, seeing yourself living that, right? Seeing the week unfolding with you in that state. What does it look like? What is it, you know, really bringing in your senses and that visualization? That's a way of priming your mind and your body to take action that way. Mm -hmm. It's another different type of visualization. Do you use any of those kind of practices? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Really great. And, And really helping to, you know, we're often in the worst case scenario. (laughs) <laughs> and unfortunately, as lawyers, that's what we were trained to do, right? We're, we are trained to like figure out what's the worst thing that could happen here. What's the most, you know, the best, like if I was handling a, you know, a plaintiff's case, what's the best defense that they're going to come up with, right? Which is my worst case scenario so that I can plan for that. Do you ever have someone say to you, you, you think just like a lawyer, what they mean is, is you're always thinking about like the worst case scenario, like you're analyzing everything. What if we could do the flip of that? And that's a meditative practice in and of itself is learning to be in a state of like, what if I wanted to, if talk about the best case scenario, the difference is, is how is it going to make me feel? Thinking about either one is not going to ultimately change the outcome, but the difference of the state that I will be in will help me to take more empowered action as opposed to disempowering action. Yeah. Um, I have a simple example of that. My daughter, when she was graduating college, you know, was doing interviews, et cetera. And she called me and went into this big story about like, there was some company that she wanted an interview with. And the story was like, well, what if I don't get the interview? Then I'll get the interview. Then I won't be able to move to such and such. And I won't be able to do my work. And then I'll never get to do da, 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 da. I was like, oh my God. So I was like, Hallie. And I said, I was like, wait, it's like, honey, we can sit here and we can sit here and focus on it never going right. Or we could spend 10 minutes talking about it's going to be so amazing. And the story that's there, how would you feel differently? And she was silent for a minute. And she's like, okay, you're right. But we do that all the time, right? We're always oh, yeah. working because we have a survival brain. It's looking yeah. to help us to survive the situation. I think it's even worse for lawyers because I think we've been trained to do that. So having a worse. Learner. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely worse for lawyers because we come in with that survival brain and it's like we turn on every other survival instinct and t- like turn it up right? Like the volume just goes way, way up for everything. And we're so trained to look out for all of the potential bad things that could possibly happen that we hardly ever think of the good. And unfortunately, we don't compartment. This is a one-time compartmentalization is probably a good thing. When you need to be doing that in a case or in a potential negotiation so that you can plan accordingly, Mm -hmm. you do not need to take that into your life. But we, right. we don't know how to like stop it <laughs> and we pull it into every aspect of our lives and it just makes everything so much harder and more stressful and anxiety inducing. So, yeah. You know, I can use that energy, right. Of looking at, let's say on a case of how I want it, the strategies that I need to create. And I can even use the anxiety, a little bit of that tripping me into the fight or flight. Cause it gives me a little bit of adrenaline to like, try to figure it out. 
Mm-hmm. But you're right. Learning that once I do that, how do I shift my state? Because if I stay in anxiety, then I'm going to overanalyze and I'm actually going to do things that are not good for the case. Right. I need to start thinking about, you know, um, being really clear about what has happened and what hasn't happened, right? Don't, living in the state of that the worst case scenario has happened is going to happen. You know, I saw that a lot during the pandemic, spent a Mm. whole lot of time with lawyers thinking that their practices were going to, you know, the courts were shutting down and all of a sudden we're not going to have business because we can't bring our cases right through the courts really hard, really hard on criminal defense lawyers, you know, all of us, but, but, you know, like we can't move I'm going to lose everything is what I was hearing. So it had to come back to, you know, this idea of like the story again, we are in worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is, is like, oh my gosh, if we shut down, the court shut down, I'm going to lose my practice. I'm going to lose everything, right? The survival story. And we had, you know, using a practice of, okay, is that true right now? You know, going back to challenging the story we tell ourselves and also just creating a mantra. And that's another meditative practice, creating mantras that you then focus on. And the one that I used all the time during the pandemic was right now in this moment, I have everything I need. Mm-hmm. Right? right now in this moment, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life right now in this moment here with you, I have everything I need. Right. Yeah. What's really interesting good. about that is I think we often we just shut everything down and don't realize how much we really do have. And when we allow ourselves to go like to actually feel more expansively about how much we do have, that's when you start to open up and see, okay, wait, this isn't going to be here forever. There are other opportunities there. It allows you more creative space to Mm -hmm. see opportunities that you cannot see without that. right? Right. And if I'm in a panic, then I'm in the fight or flight and I'm disempowered and I am going to end up being drained and I'm not, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. So it's recognizing that, you know, so much power in recognizing the emotional state that we're in from time to time, a very simple meditative practice. We can call it meditative and call it mindset is doing just for a moment, the two questions of what am I feeling right now? And how is it affecting my body? Mm. That's a meditative practice. So answering that question, if you're listening to this, what am I feeling right now? And where does it live in me? You know, where am I holding that energy? And then you could just take some, you know, do a simple deep breathing practice and and be and shifting that. But you also can have awareness of where are you right now? Mm-hmm. And is it the state that you want to be in? And if it's not, what do you need to do to shift that? This is what meditation practices are or mindset practices. I, you yep. know, often I, there's such a, a resistance to the word meditation that I, that I talk about mindset practices. And I'm really talking about meditation practices. Yeah, we, we can call them one or the other. It's what I think of the definition of meditation or mindset practices. Like it's literally the prescription for you to be able to move through stress mm-hmm. and anxiety. So instead of like, you know, I could have, I just didn't want to, I thought about what medicine would do, you know, this medicine they wanted to give me at 30 to, to live like forever on this, you know, to help me with how my body was responding to the stress that I was under. Um, you know, meditation became the prescription instead. Mm-hmm. And it can be very powerful and it doesn't have to take very long, but it is about 
first developing awareness of where you are and knowing how to shift that. Mm. So I think this is a great place to stop, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure you have resources for people. So tell us where people can find you and get some resources. Yeah. So the name of my company is Mind Over Law. And so mindoverlaw.com, there are, there are resources on there that are free resources. There's several different ones that have, there's some recordings there too, that are are different kind of audios that you can listen to that are incredible mindset or meditation practices. And I'm also on SoundCloud. So if you have that app, you just search my name, Lexley Overton Meditations. And there's probably about 15 different types of meditation slash mindset practices on there that you can follow there that you can just choose to see what's calling to you in the moment. Awesome. And I will put links to uh, where to find Lexley online in the show notes so that you can find it. Well, thank you so much for coming. This was so wonderful. Uh, Thank you, Heather. I really enjoyed it. All right, y'all. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and that it opens your eyes to all of the benefits of meditation and mindfulness. And I really hope that it enables you to start exploring a little bit more because I know personally firsthand how much meditation and mindfulness can truly help tame the anxiety and stress, help you become much more self-aware and more aware of others and improve your emotional intelligence and just do so many things that are so beneficial to you. If you would like to take this even further, I have a free resource for you that I highly recommend you go and get right now. And I will put it in the show notes. I call it 5-Minute Stress Solutions. It has eight different tools, science-backed tools for changing your mindset and um, really taking control, becoming more aware, including a gratitude practice, including some mindfulness practices, and also including a simple meditation practice. So I encourage you to go get it and download it now. That is it for this week. We'll be talking again next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life & Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow and or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both Life & Law, including the Life & Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.